One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, welcome to the 290th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Cal Barnes. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today, yet again, it is just Matt and me talking. This one's on I, me, you guys. I cannot we stress had enough how many guests we had kind of teed up and that we are just having trouble connecting with because everyone is crazy busy. Today, we were supposed to record with Kramer Morgenthau, who hopefully we still will record with. He's shooting this like Ryan Reynolds movie right now. So he has a crazy schedule. We have a crazy schedule. You have a movie premiering, all this life stuff. We have shoots and travels and all these things happening. And I, when, when we emailed and we're like, hey, you know, it looks like it's not going to work out schedule wise. I saw that Kramer started following me on Instagram. So. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. It's Congratulations, cool. buddy. Um, yeah, he's he shot a lot of Game of Thrones. He shot many Saints of Newark, which is why they contacted us. I don't know if the PR people are like the HBO people or his people. But anyway, we have a lot of awesome guests. We tried to uh, talk do a feature feature last week. And the problem is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can only have a guest on like a Carlin Hudson who we can call and say, hey, can you do a podcast in 15 minutes? <laughs> because that is how we're scheduling our life right now. So all that said, this is going to be a great episode because we're going to talk to you about a lot of things that we've been up to, a lot of things that are on my mind, on, sorry, a lot of things that are on our minds about filmmaking, about um, how screenwriting. to, about screenwriting, no, about how to and improve um, shots, how to collaborate with other people on set and finding, figuring out how much control you have versus other people. Yeah, uh, I, I think, uh, you and know, we're even going to talk about laptops. Even we're even going to talk about laptops. Yeah, it, it, this is the perfect arc of like, oh, I, we're making money. I'm going to spend it on a new toy immediately. And also, you know, when you're on set, you always have lessons from set. So uh, so it's nice to be back in the saddle. Boy, it, it's um, forgive me if I pass out in the halfway through this episode, guys. Oh, why are no, you, no, no. Are I'm you sh- tired? I'm sharp. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. But before we get into all that, I want to tell people about a couple things. Number one is we have a Patreon page. Patreon.com slash just shoot a pod is where you would go to check it out. It's a place where you can, you know, throw us a dollar, four dollars, whatever, ten dollars a month. If you give us ten dollars, we'll send you a hat. You do owe a couple people hats. They're coming, I promise. Also, we will mention your name in the beginning of the episode. And again, it's patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. But uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up this early in the episode is because the last episode I did this thing where I said, hey, I'm going to say the secret word at the very end of the episode. We're going to see if anyone actually listens to the end and emails us and mentions that secret word. We'll say their name. So we actually got a lot of people (laughs) that emailed us and mentioned that word. The secret word was ProRes. By the way, as soon as the next episode airs, we are invalidating the previous episode because I can see how this will spiral out of control. So I'm going to mention a few people that managed to sneak in in time and 
email us their, the, the word ProRes. And I'm going to do this at the beginning of the episode now, but moving forward, I will do this at the end of the episode because Ooh, riveting. Um, because I know that it's going to take up a lot of time. So there will be another secret word at the end of this episode. Stay till the very end to find out what it is. Real quick, shout outs to our listeners. Dempsey Tapley, he has his website, homesickproductions.com. Check him out. Earl Martin, whose website is iamalittlealien.com. And he said something really funny. He said that I was going to, in the last episode, I said, let's do the unimportant stuff first, like the shout outs to our listeners. And uh, he said it, that I gave away the fact that I don't think our listeners are important. That is not true. I'm going to mention Bill Mann. He doesn't want to promote anything, but we love him anyway. Tony Gapastioni, longtime listener, also has his, his own production company, web um, podcast, all sorts of cool filmmaker tools. Bravemaker.com is his site. And then there's someone whose name is an incredible upcoming director, Lindsay St. Laurent. It's a long name, she says, but she's Canadian. So I guess that makes sense. <laughs> um, we got Michael Sedge, producer living in Naples, Italy. We got Jamie Sadler. <laughs> uh, last time I mentioned that he was trolling me on Instagram. He sent me a message immediately on Instagram, making me feel bad about saying that. So I guess that's a so self-fulfilling well done, prophecy. <laughs> yeah, well done, Jamie. He wanted shout me to out. shout about stacking dishwashers properly by genre. I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, Stephanie Davis made the movie The Christmas Ride, which is on Amazon, Tubi, Plex, IMDb TV. Check it out. And uh, Ale Zold, who's a listener from uh, South America that has been listening also for a while while he does the dishes, just like you, Matt. He stole your move of listening to podcasts while you do the dishes. And finally... Uh, my dishwasher gets here the day after tomorrow. Oh, Matt is getting a new dishwasher. His whole life is changing. Uh, you were the dishwasher. I still will be. Anyway, final person, Daniel Talavera. Had nothing to plug, but I'm mentioning him anyway. Thanks, everyone, for writing. Uh, there will be a, another secret word at the end of this episode, and we'll mention your name. But, you know, the way more reliable way to do this is to go to patreon.com slash shootapod. Okay, done plugging things. Let's talk about fun film stuff. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Where should we start? I think we start with the techie nerdy stuff because I, I think that the, this will be a good uh, framing device for the rep- rest of the episode or at least the rest of this show. So there, I think there are two types of filmmakers in the world. There are uh, filmmakers who are are avidly keeping track of the new t- toys, the new gear, the new cameras, the new laptops in the case of uh, the new Mac announcements today. And then uh, there are the people who... The, the filmmakers who text those people to ask what computer they should buy when uh, the time comes. And uh, I think Oren and I are two sides of that coin. Regular listeners could guess that Oren is keeping track of that stuff much more closely than I am. And I am uh, aware of stuff coming out, but um, rely on my nerdiest friends to to guide the way on the, the minutia of, of what I should be buying, basically. Yeah, that's right. I guess my first question is, do you think for our listeners, do you think it's important to have like a, to be on Mac to work in Hollywood? Is that, is that a thing still? So when we were coming up, it used to be essential. It used to be kind of like a little bit of a badge of honor too. It was like in the same way that when you showed up on set and you had like the little clip for your gloves because you knew you were going to be touching hot lights and stuff. It was just like, oh, I'm here. I know what I'm doing. Do you ever, like every once in a while I would see a P even to this day, I'd meet a PA and I'd look down at their shoes and they'd be like super clean and nice. Like if I've once or twice I've seen a PA with like leather shoes on, not work boots, just like, like dress shoes. Like, Oh, like they're interviewing for a job or something. And I'm just like, Oh boy, you don't, you don't know what you're in for. So it used to be like that basically is what I'm saying. I don't think so anymore. I don't, I don't think that the ecosystem is nearly as important as it used to be. Drives can swap back and forth pretty pretty cleanly. I think it's nice if everybody is in, everyone in the post workflow is is on the same page. But uh, I know on our movie, we I think we bounce back and forth. I think if you show up with like a Microsoft Surface or something, people won't like look at you like you're insane. Like they would have maybe five, 10 years ago. I will say not having an iPhone is incredibly annoying. And if you are a person that ever needs to transfer a file to anyone, even if you're just like an art PA that is trying to get a graphic onto a computer screen or something, um, not having AirDrop is also really annoying. So those are kind of the the two Apple ecosystem things that are really important is having like iMessages on your phone, ideally on your laptop also. And then also AirDrop are like two tools we use all the time. And it's almost always like, Oh shoot! We got the wrong graphic on this TV. We got this thing. We got to print this thing out. Can you send me the file? And it's someone not takes when you out have their plenty of time. Galaxy, yeah, S four, whatever. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? Anyway, I, I, I would say I, I I appreciate that perspective, Oren. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I'm not would hard be, fast rules. That I think that's an Oren rule, and I would probably not think to myself. I, w- I don't know if I would jump to that conclusion necessarily, but it is. I think it's easier. It's nicer. It's better for sure. Yeah. So jumping forward to like, to, the reason we're bringing this up is Matt has a very old laptop. I'm always yelling at him about it. Uh, I have a pretty old laptop myself, 2016 model. 
And today, Apple announced new MacBooks. And people have been waiting for these because they you know, have been bouncing around with different processors. They had their own processor, then they went Intel. And now they invented this new processor, the M1, which the way it uses memory between video operations and other computer operations is is revolutionary. They basically changed how computer chips work and it can make things go way faster in kind of these unexpected ways. And on top of that, it's just like a way awesome laptop that they, you know, like Mac is, they, they said this thing today in the presentation where they're like, today's MacBook has the best performance of any MacBook of all time, which is like the dumbest thing, right? Because like, has an, like, any yeah, laptop ever come out that's worse than the one before? I don't know. Anyway. Um, but so now there's a choice. You have to either get this M1 Air, which is kind of the affordable laptop that I'd say nine out of 10 people working in Hollywood should get that one. I got one for my mom and one for my wife because they're so great. They run everything really fast. They're super light. They're really affordable, great battery life. But if you do anything that requires graphics or editing or maybe music, you know, uh, like expensive audio stuff or even like photography or a lot of photoshopping or um, you know graphic design illustrator that type of stuff um, or just regularly working with giant files like 8k file you know or four you know giant images things like that then I think it's worth considering the pro models the MacBook pros and the price range is really all over the place yeah so so this is really the sticking point right is that like I think there are users out there, yourself included, where it's like obvious you just need a, a supercomputer, right? You're uh, doing 3D graphics, you're editing a ton, et cetera, et cetera. That's an easy answer. And then I think there are, you know, people who are mostly just using their computer for the internet and some light word processing, but like don't open a ton of other programs, right? Mo- most filmmakers, I think, either fall into your camp or mine. I'm kind of right around like the ceiling of, you know, you're basically your word processing. Well, I mean, you did, you know, most of the visual effects in your feature film, though. Like, right. So, so that's what I'm bringing up. And that's what's interesting. That's the, that's the real question, right? Like most of the time, Final Draft has got it covered. Uh, editing this podcast, I, it still isn't an issue with, honestly, my computer, if it had a bigger hard drive, would still be like chugging for probably a couple more years and be fine. And it's a t- mid 2014. But to Oren's point, I did a lot of the lightweight but still existent VFX for our movie. And so I guess that's the thing is like prevailing knowledge would be like, yeah, get the best computer that you can because you want to future proof it. You want to be able to let it run for as long as possible. But I'm sitting here going, well, dang, I made a movie with a 2014 laptop and those MacBook Airs are... you know, uh, 10 times better than this thing. What more power? Like, why do I need more power? If I can always already drive a hundred miles per hour and most people are just taking this thing to the grocery store to use a car metaphor, like as long as I can top out at a hundred miles per hour, I don't need to go 300 miles per hour. Whereas you do. So that's my question basically. Right. So there's, and, and there's another trade off, which is the MacBook Air is much more portable than the MacBook Pro. Not much more, but it, it's lighter and smaller. And that never, so, never, I mean, my MacBook is pretty heavy and it's like, that's not part of your equation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Like some, like traveling, sometimes I'm like, oh God, I wish this were a little lighter, but I've got a backpack. It's fine. If you are the type of person that maybe carries a purse or doesn't like to carry a backpack, um, 
like my wife, the the MacBook Air is like an awesome, awesome product. So yeah. So let's talk about the price differences real quick. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but if you if you're a student, which uh, you know, it's pretty easy to be a student, um, you can get the kind of entry point MacBook Air for eight ninety nine. If you're not a student, nine ninety nine. That's a thousand dollars. The MacBook Pro, if you even go to the lowest of the lowest, it starts at two thousand dollars, exactly twice the price. And then if you look at the one that I want to get, it's like pretty much right around $4,000. It's a huge price difference, right? Like it's literally four times as much to get the most expensive one, but probably the one you're considering, which is the mid-level kind of MacBook Pro. But, you know, you want to get enough hard drive space. The problem with Apple is you can't upgrade anything. So you have to future-proof your stuff. So you're probably closer to $3,000 once tax and everything is taken into consideration. So do you want to pay three times as much for this better laptop? So the, the way I think about it, and I'm kind of making this up on the spot, so, so don't don't read too much into it. But is I think a laptop like for work should last four years, and so four years is 48 months, right? So let's say you bought a $4,800 laptop, that's like you're spending $100 a month, and if you bought a $2,400 laptop, you're spending $50 a month. So if you look at those two numbers compared to like the other expenses you spend in your career like i sure How, what do you spend on your say adobe suite right monthly. so yeah. i will have a subscription to this thing called extreme reach which is like my a place i pull images from you know this um commercial database and i spend f- close to 50 bucks a month on that you know and it, it doesn't even come remotely close to being as valuable to me as my laptop um and of course i have the same philosophy with phones but my my phones i think is a two-year cycle so 24 months if you're spending $1,200 on a phone which sounds ridiculous again you're spending 50 bucks a month on a phone which is a, the you're probably your most valuable tool as like a filmmaker a human being and part of society right so yeah the iPhone 13 Pro it's whatever if you get it fully loaded it's 1500 bucks it's an insane amount of money but compared to like a $50 pair of jeans or something that you well sorry Pair, pair of jeans is a bad compared to a $50 like button down shirt that you wear like four times ever. You're just getting so much more value out of your iPhone, out of your MacBook. So, so, that, so that's kind of where, how I think of the numbers. And, you know, I bought this PC during COVID. I was teaching myself Blender and 3D graphics and I did um, a job for PPS or Bill Mann and Deb Price, our friends. And part of getting, you know, the job, we talk about this all the time is making treatments and graphics and videos and whatever. We do whatever to to prove to these people that they should hire us to to direct their their projects and i did this commercial it was like a a pool a pool game like where like every time pool, a, not, not a, yeah pools, every yeah. time a uh, the ball gets hit it explodes into cash and so as like part of my learning of blender i made these 3d like physics simulations of these balls exploding into cash to kind of show how i thought it should look and what should happen to the cash and what it, how much cash there should be whatever all that stuff it's like a lot you of used the expensive computer to get yourself a job. Yeah, so I spent $2500 or something on that computer, maybe even a little bit more. And the job paid me a, a significantly significantly more than that. So I had covered the computer. I and when I was at the job, the people at the agency said, "You know why we gave you the job?" Because I, I was, you know, competing against other people. They said we really loved your animations, the things you you made, the 3D renders. Of course, we ended up not doing any of that stuff for the final product. But still, that's um, how, you, how you get it. Yeah. And so, I f- so as soon as you can say, hey, I got this job because I took these amazing um, videos with my iPhone 13. And that job paid me 
$2,500. So now I just made like literally a, a profit of a thousand dollars over how much the iPhone cost me, you know, or I got this job and I got whatever, however much money it is. So to me, there's permission. That's the permission to invest in technology. Now, cameras are, are a different thing because you might spend like $5,000 on your Sony a7S three package and you use it three times and you should have just rented, you know, um, from a financial point of view. But there are certain things like laptops, like phones, like computers that you use them so much to generate material that you use to pitch yourself, to write scripts, to do whatever that, sure, if you, all you use is final draft and you spent $1,000 on your, on the computer or $3,000 on your screenplay, but you still ended up selling the screenplay and getting the movie made, like that $2,000 difference isn't really, like it's worth it, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's not a bad point. So I, I try to not fret over those things and I can tell you, Sorry, sorry. No, I'm on a going on a, on a rant here, and I'm going to be done. I right teed now. you up, to be fair. You did, but my biggest the thing that depresses me the most with technology ever is when I have to start deleting things because I'm out of space. When I'm like, oh, you can't record this video that will, you know, of this thing that will only happen now because your your disk space is full. You can't download this thing. You can't edit this project. You can't do this because you're out of drive space. So to me. As dumb as it sounds, like I try to get the phone with the biggest, the most storage, the computer with the most storage, because literally the hours that you spend figuring out what to delete, you can make more money than, uh, you know, even if you made $20 an hour or whatever, you know, $12, whatever minimum wages in California, $15 an hour. Like if you spend, you know, two days trying to figure out worth trying to delete things, you could have spent that same amount of money on just getting twice getting as big a of a drive. A drive. Yeah. So anyhow, that's a little bit of a glimpse into my philosophy. Food for thought. On, I think pretty solid. Things. Yeah. And also why I think like you shouldn't stress out too much about the like extra hundred dollars you spent on your phone or something. Yeah. Anyhow, I mean, with the grain of salt, obviously of like, don't spend money you don't got. And it's okay if you don't have like there, there are, stepping stones to getting to the point where you have the cash to spend on either or you know what i mean and there's a lot of ways to like get good deals too um as hard as crazy specifically as on on mac products yeah that's the other thing so the reason i was waiting was less because i thought oh i'm gonna get this new macbook pro i was pretty set that i think that those macbook airs are, are gonna cover everything i need but i was hoping that maybe it would lead to a price drop because oftentimes when they put out a new product that that's always the best time because even if you wanted something that was a generation older that means it's a little bit cheaper now or you can choose the new thing if you want to compare it but the other thing so you think you're going to get the macbook air i think i'm probably going to get the macbook air oh man that's not what i was going to prescribe for you okay well we'll we'll talk about a little bit more afterwards but so maybe you'll change my mind we'll see um but the other thing is uh macs don't really go on sale very frequently or at all i think Except for for Christmas, um, so this is good timing because I think like from Black Friday on, you get you know look you save a little. Orange shaking his head. There's absolutely no way you're going to get a discount on one of these new MacBooks that were um, announced. Oh, today it is kind of Christmas. the older stuff, huh? Yeah. Um, you might get like a hundred dollar Apple Cash or something like a store credit if you buy something that you can use like next year or something. It's a but, lot of iTunes. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know if I were you, I think you are pretty good at After Effects. I think. The amount of money you saved on visual effects on your feature film more than covers getting the 14-inch MacBook Pro. I would get the $2,500 one. I know, I know you have a lot of other expenses in your life, but it's $208 a month 
for a year. And, you know, if you think about it over the course, you're a person that keeps a laptop longer than four years, five years, six years, it really ends up not being that much money. So um, for it's like literally your core tool for your business and you also don't have a desktop. For me, the question is a little harder because I have a laptop and a This would desktop. be computer number three for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also I don't do the heavy processing on my laptop. So I, I'm I'm kind of, I'm going to wait to yeah. find out what all the reviews say. Yeah, maybe that air. We'll see. Anyway, uh, good stuff, Oren. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No. Oh, like you, I said, I, I, I will, and I think that, that genuinely there's probably people out there listening who are trying to think through this specific issue and also you know i think gear is always a thing people want to talk about and i think it's nice that we have kind of two distinctly different vantage points on it yeah i, w- I do want to give two tips real quick if you are really um the, the macbook air is probably the best deal of a computer out right now like pcs included eight nine hundred you know a thousand dollars for this like amazing amazing computer if that is still like kind of seems like a lot of money for it to you or you really need an intel processor or something for some reason uh ebay is like i love buying used macbooks there you can get really good deals and also if you know a student they get 10 percent off on all apple stuff and in order to be a student you just have to have a dot edu email i think that's that used to be the way that they would verify is that true or no so i i i was in this very lucky situation when I went to UCLA, my senior gift was that they let all the students of that year keep their EDU email address. USC, so they I changed it one. to uh, alumni.edu. Oh, yeah, that sucks. Because <laughs> um, I actually, yeah. But, uh, you know, my brother was in college for a long time. Like, you can just, like, you probably shouldn't do this. But if, you know, you're taking, class, like, a screenwriting class at Santa Monica College or something, like... Like being involved in academia or in the educational system or community college or in your family, like finding a connection to a student to save yourself two or three hundred dollars. I think, you know, I think it's worth kind of going out of your way to, to do that. Anyhow. OK. Twenty seven minutes on MacBook Pro. <laughs> we haven't You're even welcome, talked about everybody. filmmaking. All right. All right. Well, it's all uh, we're talking about the tools. So we've got two other topics uh, to talk through. So the first one, I think, is inspired. You and I were talking offline I was on a job recently, basically where I was just trying my hardest to come up with a take for this job that I already had that made them special, you know, that made them pop or or I got to try something. Just trying to just trying to make them good, basically. And the brief, the assignment was not to make them bad, certainly, but like was just to deliver the information I needed to deliver succinctly and make it like nice looking and make it appealing. And there was no request from anyone to make it special in any specific way, basically. Right. Yeah. You had a very straightforward assignment and they all, they probably even said like, Hey, it should look like this. Yeah. Well, less that it was more just like, it just needed a refresh. You know, it was like, uh, and I think that probably people who shoot corporate videos or things like that i think tend to be like more truly purely informational basically where it it shouldn't look sloppy it shouldn't look unpolished but it does not need to be stylized in any way there's not a specific joke like i there was a general tone of like nice confident fun but it was not there wasn't a core joke which is a rare thing for us i think like you oftentimes it's like there's a visual gag for me, there's literally a joke. You know, someone is saying something funny. It's all performance driven. And this had a level of performance, but it was like, 
you know, again, informational. And so uh, I thought it was worth talking about because there is that that thing in us. You know, we talk about the show on the show all the time about how like we get more work because our work is good and it can feel conflicting when the job is to deliver something that we that doesn't feel unique because that's not what they need you know yeah we think that as directors our job is to put like our spin on something especially you know and obviously we're talking about commercials here so things that we did not write that aren't our ideas originally like if you're a writer director and you write a short film and you go direct it in the most obvious way possible, or it's like the whole thing is a Wes Anderson ripoff or whatever. It's fine. You still wrote it and still kind of your words and your idea. But a lot of the times that when you get a job where someone else wrote the script and obviously you give notes and you're like, Oh, maybe they should say this thing instead or whatever you're involved. But as a director, there are a couple of things that you are in control of. You can choose where to put the camera. Hopefully you can interact with the, you 99 times out of 100 get to interact with the actors and tell them like how the you think that should be performed or kind of guide them and then you probably have a lot of input into the lighting uh wardrobe art direction though all of these things sometimes even wardrobe it's like you you know it's like they went we want them to wear the uniform of whatever you know this the ups uniform for this ups commercial and they want to want them to stand in front of this ups building and because the sun is here, they have to stand. Right. Here. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, um, it's like, okay, well, we're shooting today and you have to shoot this in the morning. So the sun's going to be where it is. And hopefully that looks nice. So as, as people are like, hey, we want to shoot it like this. Or, hey, we want it. We, we just want it in a, this guy in a medium shot to look here. Center punch just like this inspiration and just do that. And you're like, well, what do you need the director for? You know, I actually... I mean, I know you're afraid to talk about this stuff, but uh, but I'm not. Uh, I shot a thing for Ellen, and it was one episode of an existing show that they had already. It's a celebrities talking to kids. Right, you were you were stepping into another project, basically. Yeah, I think yeah. a bunch of different directors had shot them, um, but they always filmed them in the same place. And I brought on my production designer, so we changed up the art direction a little bit, but it's the same cinematographer that had filmed all of them. They had a system. They wanted to shoot on their cameras. They had special casting directors that deal with the kids, like kids producers. And they have a celebrity producer who really is the main person that deals with the celebrity. And you can talk to them a little bit, but you're not like having pre-meetings with these people or anything to like team up or coming up with a strategy. You're basically copying something that already exists right, and you're just right. switching out kids and Which, switching out celebrities. Which to be fair is a lot of television, you know? Like if you're coming in on episode four of season three of a network show, the blueprint is there. And so part of the job is just matching the blueprint. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why it's kind of hard to break into TV as a director, director, you know, not from the writing room, not as an actor, not as someone with experience on that specific show, because there is a little paint by number. It depends on the show, obviously. And nowadays I think it's, it's not exactly like that on a lot of, it's kind of. Well, and like, on a shorter run shows it makes a ton more sense to just have one person do the entire season do all the episodes yeah. yeah but i've run into this problem i actually just pitched on this commercial a couple months ago that was like a bob ross parody it's like we want it to be bob ross except he's talking about some you know he's not painting happy little mountains he's painting happy little whatever the product was and i was like look i can i can pitch 
like I've done so many parodies in my life. Like that's how I got my start is making parodies on YouTube and making parodies for Disney and doing parody, like just literally copying other people's work. I could do a Bob Ross parody. Yeah. You could uh, make it black curtain. Exactly like a Bob Ross video. Yeah. yeah. We could shoot on the same cameras he shot or get the filter that makes him look like that. We can do the exact same coverage, the same close up on the brush as he's smacking it, whatever. Deadpool already did the best Bob Ross parody. I think that's ever been done. Not to mention a lot of other amazing people have done amazing Bob Ross parodies. So, you know, I don't know, Matt, if you were to write a treatment on a Bob Ross parody, what do you bring to it as a director? Well, you're putting me on the spot there, buddy. Yeah. I mean, I think that, again, it it boils down to the brief, right? Like there's the ultra authentic version, right? You research, okay, like what cameras literally did they shoot on? And I'm going to pull those, um, you know, stuff like that maybe maybe is how you stand out. Maybe you just win them with the authenticity. Right. Well, spoiler alert, I didn't get the job because I was like, Hey, everyone's doing Bob Ross parodies. Like it, what, what can I do? That's like a little different. How can we skew our thing in a different way? Maybe the art, maybe it's in the art, maybe it's in the coverage. Maybe it's like, um, we see the behind the scenes of the Bob Ross thing, like a little bit more of the crew that's making the Bob yeah. Ross thing. I, you know, now, now that you say it, I think I would plus the jokes. I'd pitch alt jokes. Yeah, I, I pitched a lot of alt jokes uh, myself, but they ended up, and I kind of pitched a little bit bigger of a stage instead of just a black curtain. I was like, let's let's get a pedestal camera and let's have that in the foreground for one shot. You know, almost like how they shot A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the Mr. Rogers movie, you know. How they shot the Mr. Yeah, Rogers scenes. Yeah, break the fourth wall. Like, well, I guess that's yeah. but like, like a little more BTS, basically. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise, what do you need me for? You know, why fly me out to shoot this thing when you could just do, do it without me? Pick you know, maybe to wigs. talk to, to work yeah. with the actors. Yeah, you know, a little bit. But, you know, the idea is like just cast the guy that can do an amazing Bob Ross impression. I, I mean, here's the thing, Oren, is that like I think sometimes as directors, we get that feeling all the time. Right. And part of it is because I think we take things that are obvious to us for granted, you know? And there does just have to be a person to pick the wig that looks right. You know, in, in television, I, I think of oftentimes the way I describe the EP. This isn't true for all of them, but many. The reason that there are directors is because the EP can't be on set all day. The executive producer. The executive producer. Like the, like, like the, the showrunner. In charge of... Control of making sure the show is. If you could just clone that person and fill out a writer's room and a director's roster and a studio executive, they they can do all of those jobs, right? Like that's why you get to be the showrunners because you're pretty darn great at all of them. I mean, I would maybe say the writers room. You want some 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 variety of writers. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. But you get what I'm saying. It's like oftentimes, if if they didn't need, if the writers room wasn't running and the studio didn't have needs, they could direct the episode, is what I'm saying. So you're really there to just kind of deliver on that. And that's true for creative executives and creative directors and all that stuff as well. It's not like it's outside of their skill set. It's just that they've got other stuff to do, you know? So that's why you're there, basically. Right. But as directors, you know, and we're kind of in the level that we work in, we want we want each job to expand our reel in a way that will get us better jobs. Uh, to be fair, I don't think that ever changes. I think I think people at the top of their game are are continuing to just right. Do but that's cool. why we don't want to do like a paint by numbers thing. 
like literally, because it won't add to that. And so I just gave an example of like something that I found incredibly difficult to pitch on because I didn't know what I could bring to it. But um, let's talk about some strategies of what are the things that you can bring because this is kind of what we talked about a little bit. And I have I have an example that I can I can start off with. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I know. Yeah, go for it. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> um, but I did this thing with Angela Kinsey a few years ago where it was for Keebler. It was a tiny, tiny budget. And the agency sent us the boards and they were like, um, we just want solid colored walls behind Angela Kinsey. We want her to sit in a wingback chair and uh, to talk about these crackers. And then maybe we'll have a side table. They with the wanted it on. to be straight, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Just colored background, like pink background, green background, whatever, blue background. Or actually, it was just a pink background. Let's just choose one solid color, and that she's just going to sit on this chair in front of that thing. And so, what do I get to do? I get to choose the chair. I get to like punch up the yeah performance, to, to work a with bit. her on yeah. the jokes. Yeah, and they had everything like scripted. You know, like we want confetti to pop after she says this. So um, there are a couple things that I added to that, and luckily I had some flexibility. A lot of times you don't. But so the things I added was, first of all, we knew that there were some crackers and things that were wanted to be in the scene. And so I thought it would be cool to have like hands, like tuxedo hands, bring them in and out of the frame, which they kind of allowed me to do. But I had to pitch them and show them an example to sell them on that. And luckily, because it was a SAG shoot, my wife played the hands, you know, we got paid a little bit. By the way, if you're married to a SAG actor and they're like, well, we can't afford to bring another actor, you just say, well, just take it out of my rate and give it to them. The money ends up in the same place, but at least you get to do what you wanted so that was one thing i did the other thing i did was i you know added a dolly like let's start in a close and let's pull out wine and let's do a little bit of coverage which like i i invented a little bit of blocking like what if she walks and sits in this chair (laughs) you know um things like that which they allowed me to do and then the third thing i did is i went to ecoset this place we've talked about on the podcast before because i thought like what other companies make these kind of awesome like monotone commercials and i think probably one of the most famous ones is target you know all their commercials are just like red and white and because and ecoset is this company that uh, takes targets and walmarts and all these old sets and they give them away for free so i found an awesome wall that just had it was just an interestingly textured and shaped wall and ecoset that we got for free and we got to paint it that color so again they're these are small things but they were like how i found out to plus it is like let's make our plain wall in the background it's still going to be all pink but we're going to get interesting textures and patterns like there's a lattice on it let's you know there's items in the script let's figure out how they enter and exit the frame in an interesting way and this was a comedy too so you get to have some fun with that stuff um and then let's figure out how we can move the camera in a way that's not distracting that still delivers to the agency what they want but also lets us have a little bit of fun with our actor so yeah, I, those are those are something. I, and I think that that's all. All of those things are great. And I think that oftentimes, sometimes people say they want something simple because they mean they don't want to distract from the messaging, right? Uh, and all of the things that you did enhanced the messaging, right? And that also sometimes it's easy for people to confuse our egos. Uh, with the goals of the product, right? Like those bad directors, those are in conflict, right? Like when we're talking about commercials specifically, there are directors out there that that just want a hella cool spot on their reel and they don't care if it pushes into something totally weird and they burn bridges and who cares, whatever that happens. But even in music videos and narrative stuff, like if the 
the director is doing things that are not they supporting wanna, the story, right, right, you know, exactly. whether the story is like by Heinz ketchup or, you know, it's a post Malone music video. Or, that you're I mean, it. to be fair though, uh, commercials, the story is rarely by Heinz ketchup. The story is, I had no idea how good Heinz ketchup is, which is different. Do you know what I mean? And I do think the product matters because I was doing Keebler crackers. Like everyone knows what they are. If you're doing a product where you need to teach people, introducing people. what it is, yeah, it's, yeah. you need to be even simpler in the filmmaking to let the instructions, you know, come out. Like I'm doing a, I have a shoot tomorrow for a product. It's from Amazon, but it's a product no one's heard of and nobody knows what it is. And so we have to spend a lot of our screen time just explaining literally. to people literally and saying this product does this. It's not it's just a this. value proposition. It's instructional. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, so that, that brings up, I think the main strategy that I have, and that's that oftentimes a lot of directing is just uh, educating people, right? Like you're reading between the lines, like why do they say they want it to be simple? Is it because they're afraid I'm going to go off the rails with it? Is it the, uh, they're afraid it's going to be too expensive? Is it that they're afraid that, uh, you know, it's going to be distracting? I think those would be reasonable fears for all of the different things that you, all of your tips that you just outlined. But all of them also, camera movement can focus a message, right? You can find cheap, visually interesting things that keep people paying attention for longer. You know, things like that, that sometimes people just, underestimate and so a lot of the time that you spend in scouting in building pitch presentations building the 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 ppm deck like the basically the final presentation all of those client calls all of that stuff those are opportunities for you to broaden the perspective of the various people working with you and also learn more about what they're what they really want, what they're really hoping for, what they're really afraid of. You know, sometimes you're getting a note because the previous campaign went off the rails. And so they're really, their boss was like, listen, if they overspend on this one, you're in trouble, mister. You're whatever, you know. So I think it's just like that prep time, the politics of it, I think, are as, as important to delivering your creative vision or plussing it in a way that makes everybody happy as possible. So not super artsy fartsy, but is the the dirty secret of uh, commercial directing, I think. Yeah. I will say, even when we were talking, since my days doing that Keebler spot a few years ago, um, I've fallen in love with uh, this YouTube channel, Wandering DP, where he just analyzes commercials, mainly from a cinematography point of view. Like He talks a little bit about camera movement, but he talks a lot about composition and a lot about lighting. And to me, when it's like, hey, we're going to have... These two guys talk about hamburgers in front of this um, fireplace set, and it's a one-wall set, and that's all we can afford to build. I will go, and I'll just spend like a couple hours watching a bunch of his videos, you know, breaking down food commercials or breaking down kind of simple set commercials, and I'll look at the things that he he'll point out what he thinks makes a good commercial. Like maybe it's the wallpaper, maybe it's the backlight, maybe it's the bounce light, maybe it's a piece of foreground. And I will basically try to like steal ideas from from other people that he's kind of guided me through to make a frame like, a you know, just a camera on a tripod pointing at uh, two people talking in front of a background. Like to me that it that the challenge is how do you make that interesting? And a lot of times it can be like, well, why don't we just do the best fucking version of this thing? You know, 
Like, let's get the lighting to be so good. Let's get like cool highlights in the background or flames or let's have some foreground stuff or let's add atmosphere in here and put shafts of light or whatever is right for the commercial and kind of try to give build scope without falling back on moving the camera all over the place. Um, so that's like what my, my other like trick is like if I'm stuck for ideas as I check out Wandering DP and just see what other people have done. And he's really good at pointing out why those commercials are good. To elaborate off that, because you did tell me to do that and um, and that channel is very good, but it made me realize, oh, that's what Oren does and it works for you. And I, I'm not saying that it doesn't work for me, but there were other things that maybe are more inspiring to me. You know, other, I think revisiting the well, I think, I think, you know, I like a good video essay. I think that to me, I it reminds me that I'm still trying to constantly recenter on story, story and character, even if it's something that isn't necessarily story driven. And these were, you know, especially not. And then also blocking. I, I think the other piece of advice you gave me, which I think is right on, is like just pick one thing to plus one thing to focus on. Maybe it's movement. Maybe it's dressing, whatever. Yeah. And it's almost like do it for you not for them Mm -hmm. you know yeah you're like they want that they they don't want any more than this and if i fuck with it too much they're going to be upset because it's not what they pictured but if you do something cool with the wardrobe you know if you do something cool with the lighting if you do like you're saying the blocking you can do it in a way where you're like oh this i'm i'm proud of this and it's not (laughs) bothering them so it it's cool it's that said the blocking was not anything to write home about on these (laughs) but that's okay you're like you stand here talk to camera Great. Great. Once more faster? Like, yeah, maybe uh, take half a, okay. a half an inch back and to your left. Perfect. Well, you know, we had Would that you episode. Would with me, or <laughs> Yeah. No, but we had that episode with the guy that shot um, End of the Effing World, and he talked about how they just center, center frame all the characters. And I did a commercial right after that, and I center framed all the characters because I was like, I love the way that show looks. I love having you know, rules so- is nice. Yeah. Yeah, and also, like, you just hear this, like, thirds, you know, rule of thirds all the time. It's, like, put someone on the third. And even, like, Mr. Robot that has, like, such weird framing. It's, like, well, because they put him on the eyes on the bottom third instead of the top third. And you're, like, it's just refreshing to hear a show that you love the way it looks. And it's not, happens to not be directed by Wes Anderson where everyone is framed in, like, this very centered way. And I was, like, I want to do that. And that, for that commercial I did, that's, like, this that cheetah thing, the lottery spot. I was like, I'm going to frame every person in the middle of the frame. And I think of all the stuff I've done, I, I like in this last year, I really like how that looks. And it's mainly because I was inspired by a DP that was on this show. Well, I think that maybe the other thing you can think about is just like giving yourself a few hard and fast rules, right? Like to me, style is dictated by how closely you adhere to those rules for yourself. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you get a little loosey, if it's like, if that spot that you did wasn't center punched, it was center punched 70% of the time. Well, it is, but yeah. <laughs> but do you hear what I'm saying? Then that's no longer, yeah, yeah. you're watering down those those choices. You're watering down that style. And Yeah. And that's the like the people that really, really, really stick to their style, like Wes Anderson, who does only, will pan the camera 90 degrees, you know, or a multiple of 90 degrees. It's like, there you, you know, go. It's freaking tough to pull off, but if you can, yeah. then you're Wes Anderson. Yeah, there you go. Well, great. So yeah, I, if you guys have ideas of like how to punch up or improve 
a shot that really doesn't need any improving, what do you do? Like, how do you, um, I'd love to hear from people how they put their own stamp on things or how they even think about figuring out what their stamp is, especially on short form stuff and, and things that they didn't write themselves. Let us know. Uh, just shoot a pod at gmail.com. Okay. Our final topic. Final topic. Be a quick one. Yeah. I was thinking about this most recent job and I was with a crew of People I hadn't worked with before. I was an out-of-town crew. I was shooting in Nashville. Everyone knew each other better than me. And there were moments, I feel like, you know, the 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 train would maybe start to run away from you a little bit. You know, like uh, things were just kind of like moving. And it was kind of like, if I wasn't okay with it, I'd really have to like be like, hey, hold up. You know, like this is wrong because, you know, it's a well, well-oiled machine. And in this case, it wasn't a problem at all. But as a, as a director who my policy is always best idea wins. And I tend to not stop people from doing what they're doing as long as I agree with it. So, like, people are running with things. I'm keeping an eye on things. I'm not, like, a tyrant on set, you know? Sorry, can you give an example of what of what you mean? Yeah, like, um, if, for instance, we've been shooting all day and we're, we're hustling and we're moving over to a new setup and the DP puts the camera down, I'm not going to go over there and be like, no, move it elsewhere if it's where I like it, Right. And so I'll just be quiet. You know, I won't, I won't just won't say anything. We'll keep moving on. And if that continues to happen and it continues to be right, for instance, and I'm not stopping from people from doing the thing that they're already doing, there is the potential for people to forget who's in charge. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's kind of two angles that I'm, I'm not a hundred percent clear on. Like, are you saying that like you haven't exactly told the DP exactly what the shots are yet? And they're kind of like taking some agency and being like, oh, you know, we should start with the wide shots. I want to put the camera here. And you're just kind of letting it roll. Uh, I, I don't think it's or even are you saying ever that, that loosey-goosey. It's like, okay, time for to get the wide shot. And we've talked about a bunch of different versions of the wide shot. And they put the camera down where they think it oh, should be. Right. They choose one version. Yeah. Or we've been shooting wide shots all day were versed on like and i'm blocking people and i'm like okay you're over there and then they put the camera there but it's not i didn't pull up my phone and like walk over and frame it up and be like this is what i want so i guess my question is is it about you not exactly choosing it but letting the department heads kind of run their own departments without you giving them the the thumbs up on every move or is it the illusion that from other people on set or agency or client or it's the illusion yeah. That you are not in charge, even though you are in charge. It's 100% in the illusion. And, and I think that sometimes greener crew members sometimes will, will be lumped into that, that group as well. I always, without a doubt, will stop things as soon as I realize that I don't like it, even if it's inconvenient, even if we're in the middle of a take. I'll call cut and change things. I don't ever let things move forward if they're not right. But if they are right, I don't need to walk over and take credit for the decision. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I, I guess. I, like, I don't know what right and not right is. Like, well, to me, well, or rather what I, what I like. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, like just matching the plan, matching the aesthetic that I'm aiming for right on, on those terms, basically. According to plan, perhaps is maybe a better way of saying it. Yeah. So the illusion thing, it, it doesn't bother me. I find it kind of funny (laughs) this is gonna sound so vain or like uh, petty it bothers me if i work with like a famous actor 
and then they don't have any idea who I am, even though I was directing them all day because there's so many handlers and so many other people and the DP is telling them to take a step to the left and the AD is telling them to, you know, go do this thing. And I'm just like one of like a chorus of voices. And then I see them again somewhere and they, they don't really remember who I am or something, you know, like that kind of bothers me because I feel like I work so hard to get the job and to set everything up and to make them look good and stuff. And then because everything's like kind of greased and moving on its own, they don't really, they're not especially aware of who I am, especially during COVID when we're all masked. But that that's like a rare thing. Um, but I, the other thing I remember the first time this happened to me was like years ago, I was directing like a prom scene and, um, you know, we had a bunch of extras. We had like whatever, 30, 40 extras like at the prom. And one of them started talking to me and she's like, so how's it going? This is cool. Like, I like this. What's your name? Da, da, da. And I'm like talking to her. We're like waiting for some relight or something. And she's like, so um, what do you do on set? <laughs> I was like, and this was like maybe six hours into the shoot and where we had all these extras and problems. <laughs> like, well, I, I'm the director. It's like, oh, really? I didn't know that. I'm like, you didn't see that I'm like telling everyone where to go and telling. It's like, oh, I don't know. I thought the guy behind the camera maybe was a director. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what a director is. This this person's telling me. To yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So I, that was kind of the first time it happened to me in like an odd way. And I was like, oh, I guess most people don't really know what the director does. Um, and it didn't really bother me. I thought it was kind of funny. But yeah, I could see like the situation where you're doing like a three day shoot out of town and you are like the new kid and everyone is kind of like moving and they're not really waiting for you to give the thumbs sure. up. It, well, and, and I'm like, not the sort of person that wants for them to wait. But but I, I guess that does sort of create a circumstance where if they if somebody does overstep their authority, like like when you said, oh, like having the DP, you know, tell the actor to take two steps to the left. That happens all the time, you know, and I'm I'm never bothered by it. But, you know, you do that enough times and then all of a sudden, you know, the actor is acting, asking the DP, oh, should I take two steps to the left or two steps to the right? And if they say to the left and I wanted them to go to the right, that makes it awkward. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you just say a camera, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> there you go. Good move. But you know what? I guess it's it's this funny thing of like I take pride in like wanting my department heads to have agency to move forward i'll stop them or slow them down if we're if we're doing something that you know isn't something that i think is right for the project but yeah you know it's you don't want to be dismissed and also you know that they have more friends on set you know like that the whole camera grip electric department is like looking at the dp to set it you know know what it is it's more like art department i i think sometimes it's like you don't want i would hate for there to be a circumstance where someone asks the DP and not me a question they should ask me. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like what, That's a what, good example. You went from Starbucks? Yeah, exactly. Like, like I'm right here. Why did the whole camera crew get a coffee and I didn't? Um, yeah. Well, so there's this has famous... That, has that stuff ever happened to you? I, I guess like... Yeah, all the time. But there's this famous Kubrick story, I think on one of his earlier movies, and I'm sure most listeners here know the story even better than I'm going to tell it, but... Something to the effect of he wanted the camera to track an actor and he was like, let's put it on the 32 millimeter lens. Let's put the track over here and I, we're going to follow this actor. And he comes back after they're done setting up and he's like, uh, oh, you're on the 50 millimeter lens and the dolly track is uh, farther away. And the DP says to Stanley Kubrick, he's like, 
Yeah, it's uh, you know, there's this pole in the way here, so we moved the track over here. We put the longer lens at the same shot. Don't worry. And he instantly fired the cinematographer because the cinematographer was telling him that being on a fifty farther away is the exact same thing as being on a thirty-two closer up. You know, and to st- a, it's not true, but it, it effectively could be kind of. He meant similar. like, oh, it's the same size framing, basically. Right. Yeah. So a, it's like the person who's supposed to be the expert at lenses is like telling you something that's sure, like slightly wrong. kind of wrong. Yeah. But two, it's the DP saying, "Hey, you know, we're the crew. We're doing all this stuff. This thing was in the way. We took some agency. We we made it work. We made what what you asked for us to to do work in our way." And he was like, no, this is my movie. We need to do it my way. You know, and so I think on a smaller scale, I, I don't think I've fired people um, for things like that. <laughs> but yeah, I've definitely been on sets, especially out of town, where I know that because I was talking to someone and I wasn't paying attention to how things were set up, it wasn't how I would want them to be set up. And I have to weigh whether I want to make enemies of everyone on set and have them change things or whether I should just be like, yeah, it's good enough and shoot it that way and unfortunately i have definitely said to myself it's good enough many times you know that's not exactly where i would have put it but where the camera or how i would have lit it but it it looks good or sometimes i'll say to the dp i'll be like hey you know i guess i thought like that this was going to be kind of more of a backlit shot like is there any way that we can like bring down the light the front light and kind of up the backlight or move the camera a little bit like if it's like a five minute thing let's do it if it's like a half hour thing let's not do it you know, I kind of try to be like aware that that we're in a rush, you know, and that they took some agency and that they should keep doing that. But also that I'm slightly unhappy, with it, you know, um, and so that maybe in this setup, we'll go with what they did. But in the next setup, maybe they'll know to like just double check with me before they they have the whole crew do this whole thing, you know. You know so, what? The, 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 another thing that it was so funny. But I'm not. I'm not proud of that. I would yeah, yeah, much yeah. rather be like a perfectionist. You know. Yeah, and I'm kind of describing the opposite. Where, you know, there would be things where I'd have to undo some of their work sometimes. You know, this this team was really good, and so like I'd be kind of like roughing and blocking, and then realize like, oh, they just lit it while I was doing that, and I am not happy with the shot yet. So now you guys have to take all of this down and move it over. And like, if you just, if you just asked, like, are we and ready sometimes to go? it's not even you, right? Sometimes the, the agency will come over and they'll be like, Oh yeah. Um, they 100%. shouldn't be picking this thing up. Like they should be picking this thing up instead, which is on yeah. the other side of the new room. deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that could happen too. And sometimes it was like, guys, if you just count to 10, just get on your phones for a second. Let me get this right. Then jump into action. We'll all be better off. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been in a situation where like the, you know, the gaffer or something is like lighting something and then they like the, you know, some grip or someone comes with a bounce, shiny bounce and they put it underneath the the face and they're like, oh yeah. And they like high five each other. That looks so good. And you're like, ah, yeah, it looked better with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I, I had, <laughs> you have to undo high five. I had a, like a gaffer once like come over to me and be like, do I know how to light or what? And, uh, and I was like, uh, yeah, looks great. And it was not any anything to write home about at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's the the thing I've learned and that is I think one of the hardest things as a director and only really comes with like clocking days on set or whatever is 
trusting your instinct. And some people are really good. They're, I mean, we've had people on this podcast that their first movie is like so good because they're like, this is what it should be like. They're, this is how this should be performed. This is what the lighting should look like. But for me, I've just kind of like was nice for many years. I mean, just I think I'm practice. still nice. Yeah. But I know we just did this shot and this thing I did like two weeks ago where I'm like, this is just too dark. The client, they're, it's backlit. It's so bright outside. Our actors are so dark on the inside. Like this will never, ever make it into the cut. And the DP's like, I think this looks great. There's contrast. There's this. And then the key grip says that the camera operator is like, yeah, I think this is cool. And I'm like, it is a great shot. It looks awesome. It would be great in a freaking David Fincher film. But we are shooting a tourism commercial. And this is not does not look like anything else we shot, you know? Yeah. And the, the, um, and the lighting of it all is a really tricky thing in particular because so much is taste. And like, they don't know what the brief is. Most of the time, people are there. Maybe, maybe they paid attention to the tech scout to really getting a sense of the tone. But otherwise... You're kind of just like hoping that they get it or that you have the technical skill to tell them how to get it, basically. And that, look, that's what the DP's for. But like, you know, on these short jobs, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to like get to know each other and really like figure out how to communicate. And you're leaning on them, you know? Yeah. And you should never be afraid to say that something looks weird to you. Yeah. Because a lot of times you'll be like, well, oh, they're telling you it's fine and not to worry about it. Oh, it's 8K or it's this. Oh, it's... Like this is my one of the most annoying things that every fucking DP and and camera assistant do in the world is when you tell them that something looks too dark, is they come to the your freaking monitor and they turn the brightness up. Yeah, you're like, no, and that's it's not, so that's infuriating. I'm, I'm like, about. I've been looking at this monitor all day. I know that this is darker than everything else we shot, and it's not good because it's darker than everything else we shot. This is a commercial about a person. Who realizes how great life is with Heinz Ketchup? They they love napkins now. Um, not yeah. yeah. You know what's funny though, uh, and I know you're kind of just speaking generally to the audience. My problem is, I never have a problem telling people I don't like something and that I want to fix it. My problem, I I think the thing that makes me feel weird is that I am quiet and observing everything. And because of their agency, sometimes I feel like people are like, well, he didn't do anything. Do you know what I mean? Or like, I'll, t- I'll say this. I once had a DP. I heard it get back to me. Said they'd like, he basically directed a spot. I did. And I was like, dude, you don't know what a director does. Did you hire this DP? Or were they assigned to you? They were assigned to me. Oh, okay. And That's I like, I very much like working with that DP. But it was just like, I was like, yeah, dude, you're just framing a two shot. I said two shot you know where the blocking is. I'll tell you to change it. To me that if, if a DP said, eh, basically directed that I'm just saying this, I'm sure it's not true, but I feel like I'd be kind of proud. I feel like they'd be like, Oh, this is a good spot. <laughs> That's why I'm taking credit for it. Um, yeah. Like how the opposite is when you shoot something and you work so hard and you're like, this is awesome. And you're so great. To, then you go to their website and it's like nowhere to be seen. And you're like, ah, you jerk. You didn't think this was good. Didn't make your, you have 30 spots on here. It didn't make your top 30. For crying out loud. Anyhow. Those are the DPs, same DPs. Those are the same DPs that when you try to pitch them, no one at the agency likes their website. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, not a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, um, we'd love to hear your stories. Please let us know um, how annoyed you are that we only talk to each other nowadays without any guests. You guys were working uh, on it. Everyone. Talk about 
we lack of a variety in viewpoints. Um, oh boy. But email us, just shoot a pot at gmail.com. Just email us to tell us that you have nothing to tell us or let us know about your control issues on set. Do you like being the director and getting credit for being the director or, or do you get more joy from just watching all the, uh, all the people and department heads kind of doing things without you having to tell them what to do? Just cool. Let us know, just shoot a pot at gmail.com. Now, Matt, before we finish this episode, I was wondering if you would be down to uh, endorse some things for free with me. Unpaid endorsements. So my unpaid endorsement is a uh, clip from uh, that Mitchell and Webb look, which is um, a British show. And the clip is the called... The show is called That Mitchell and Webb Look. Mm-hmm. Yep. What a horrible name for a show. Um, yeah, it's a little confusing. I don't know the show well enough. I'm sure plenty of Anglophiles will be like, oh my God, that's my bloody favorite show. Um, but yeah, that Mitchell and Webb look and the, the clip is called Not This, But. And it's basically about a, a writer and his agent kind of pitching ideas back and forth. And there's a version of people saying, giving the bad pitch, basically, which is a thing that in writer's room you, you deal with all the time where it'll be like, or in... You know, it's not not this, but what if you quit the podcast? Not not that, not that, but like just replace yourself, you know, but, but a different version of that. Mix it, play with it. And uh, I was in a room working on some spots and uh, they sent this around and I thought, well, I maybe had just done a bad pitch, but which I still think is actually a very good way to keep a conversation moving. I'm very... Yeah, this is the bad version. Yeah. But it's like, you know, he opens a box and there's a bomb in it. I'll tell you what, man. I, I am stylistically learning a lot about myself in the room. I'm, I'll am i just pick, pitch clunkers nonstop just because I'm trying to just move the conversation forward, inspire something in someone else, refine what I'm trying to say. And I that's a different style than some, some people just like hold their cards and then say two super funny things a day. And uh, I'm just trying, I'm a team player, man. Anyway, so uh, that Mitchell and Webb look, not this, but. Okay, so my first endorsement is not that. It's called 10 Minute Email. Do you know about that? 10 Minute Mail, sorry, 10 Minute Mail.com. It's, um, you know, when you like are trying to download some plugin or fill out some form or get access to some free PDF or something. And they're like, put in your email address. Oh, we'll funny. send you a link to it. So it's like a fake email address for ten minutes that expires in ten it, minutes. Yep, brutal email address that expires in ten <laughs> minutes. So you can use it for all these things that you have to put an email address in, but you do not want to be on their email list. Ten minutemail dot com, genius. Second thing, this is the awesome thing. So I work with this editor named Chris Otwell. He's like my favorite editor. Uh, apologies if you're an editor <laughs> that I've worked with that listens to this. I love all of you, Andy Young, all all the ones that listen to this. I, I work with a lot of great editors, but Chris Otwell. So good at so many things. And one of the things I noticed with him is that his dialogue always sounds so good. Like he'll do temp VO and it sounds so good. And he'll send us these, you know, edits on Vimeo or whatever. Just like, hey, here's my first cut, rough cut, assembly cut. I'm like, why does your dialogue always sound so good? And my dialogue always sounds so bad. And he's like, oh, yeah, I do this, this thing. I have like a, a cocktail of filters. And I'm going to tell you that cocktail right now. That's so uh, based on Adobe products. I apologize. I'm sure there are equivalents in your products, but it's not going to be that helpful because I'm going to be really specific. So first of all, he puts his effects where a lot of people should do this. You know, like if a good um, editor, even on the assembly cut, rough cut, whatever, will 
have tracks assigned to dialogue, to sound effects, to ambient background noise or whatever, into music, right? Kind of those are your four sections of audio. And so if you know you're putting all the dialogue on tracks like one through four, instead of putting effects on every dialogue clip that you put in there, um, you can put an effect on the track. And you do that in, in Adobe Premiere. It's called the Audio Track Mixer Panel. So that's where he does this. He'll put um, the effects on the dialogue tracks to make the dialogue, to sweeten the dialogue. And then he'll do another effect on the, it's called the mix track, which is um, the final track. Let's say you have 20 tracks, like the track all the way on the right side in this window. It's called the mix track. It's an effect that you can put on all the tracks combined before they come out of your speakers or into the written to the file or whatever, right? So the file, the effect he puts on the final track, on the mix track, it's called the multiband compressor. And there's presets, and he chooses the broadcast preset. And then you set the output gain. I do negative three for the web. You can do negative whatever. But basically, it takes all of your audio, makes it super loud, but relative to each other feel good. It EQs things in a certain way that feel like broadcast quality. And then you just, for the output gain, you put whatever, however, wherever you want your audio to peak. So I want mine at negative three dB for web because I... Uh, like my stuff loud for the internet so that people can hear it if they're listening on the subway or whatever <laughs> while they're working out. And then, so that's what he does on the mix track. And then on the dialogue tracks, he does, um, for all the dialogue tracks, he does a high pass filter. And Chris, I'm sorry if this is a secret. You never told me it was. Um, high pass filter, 80 hertz. Basically get rid of everything under 80 hertz, which is like <gasps> guttural sounds, like bass things, ACs in the background, people's throats, whatever. Just kind of, it's very slight cleaning of the audio and a frequency range that you'll never miss in your life. And then on top of that, he sticks another multiband compressor. From this one, he chooses the Pop Master preset. Ooh, okay. Um, pop, I have mine. Pop yeah. Master? Pop. pop Master. Yeah, yeah. And I have mine set to negative 6 dB. And yeah, so this is just like a gen- generic make your dialogue sound good plus your mix sound good. And then, you know, you mix your music relative to the dialogue and sound effects and all that stuff. You don't put any of these effects on on the sound effects the or the music. Side. Yeah. What I love about that one. is that it is clean to do for, like, it's just a habit for setting up your your projects from now on. It's not, it, that the, the labor that, you spent way more time describing Explaining it that. <laughs> than yeah. it would take to actually do it. Right. And only because I... I you know, that I want people to understand uh, the idea too. No, that's not a slam. I'm just saying, I'm just explaining like, it's easy is what I'm saying. Yeah. And this isn't like fixing bad recordings. It's not like pop filters, click free. You know, it doesn't take really bad audio and make it passable. It takes decently recorded audio and makes it feel like it has like weight to it. Um, and so, and I, I love this cocktail so much that whenever, you know, my wife's an actress we film a lot of auditions. I literally just have one timeline in Premiere that every audition goes to, and it has uh, this cocktail on the dialogue tracks. Yeah, so anytime I drag any of our auditions into there, it automatically has this filter on the dialogue. And it does a really good job of like also like leveling the dialogue, like bringing the loudest part of the dialogue closer to the quietest part of the dialogue. You still have to... You know, if she's really quiet or far from the mic, you still have to make it louder. You still have to kind of ride the levels a little bit, but there's just a quality to it. And even in my temp edits, even if that, you know, I showed you an animatic earlier today, like I just put it on everything and there, there's just like a tiny bit of professionalism. <laughs> and I love any trick that your first cut, your rough cut, your assembly cut can feel that much um, better, closer yeah. to the to the final cut. Yeah. It just makes me happy. 
Love it. So those are those are my endorsements. Well, save this episode, everybody, so you can get that cocktail. Yeah, please do. Well, um, thanks, Matt, for joining me yet again on another episode. Maybe Same we'll have a guest you, next time. Yeah. We I have think, two guests scheduled for this week, so we'll see if they actually happen or not. Yeah, I th- I think I think we're we're headed into some guest territory. So thanks for hanging out with us, everyone. Let us know if you uh, want more guests. Maybe maybe Laura and I are just wasting our time doing all the scheduling and booking people, waking up early. All that people stuff. do. I'm gonna give a quick shout out to Clinton Cromwell too, who's another patron who actually pitched us a guest uh, this week, which I haven't even looked into yet. But no, Clinton, that we got your email. We just have not looked into it yet. Um, so I think people like guests, but um, yeah. they also like us. We, I like, think... we like guests, too. It's been a long time since we've been just having a one-on-one episode. Yeah. Uh, so. I think my theory is the regular listeners like us, but the like kind of in-passing I, listeners... I think that's exactly right. Yeah. If there's an interesting guest. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, anyhow. it was nice that we had some gas in the tank, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, can you tell us who edited this episode? Hey, uh, this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. You can reach out to us if you have questions, comments, all of that stuff. You can email us at uh, justshootitpod at gmail.com or tweet at us at justshootitpod. Uh, we're across all social media there. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. I'm at O'Kaplan on Instagram. I'm at SmiteyPileg on Twitter. And if you want to hear your name mentioned in the next episode, just email us with the word audio cocktail. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Audio cocktail. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.